0: i'm Haley oaks and this is milk trails a journey in the out-of-hospital birth experience hi jenna welcome to the show oh, thank you <laughs> um, so jenna is a wonderful person and a friend whom i met 11 Years ago now, oh boy. In Santa Barbara. <laughs> Crazy how time flies. And she gave birth to baby Felix at a birth center six and a half months ago. Mm-hmm. And on your birthday. <laughs> on my birthday, we share our we share birthday, Felix and I. So nice. Um, and she's here to share her story. Um, specifically around having a baby with a two vessel cord and and then battling postpartum insomnia. So thanks Jenna for being here to Thank share. You for me. Me. It's an honor. Um, so you first found out you were pregnant in the beginning of COVID, yep. and then uh, <laughs> yeah, which is double surprise and all the things that come with it. You wrote. Um, such an amazing article about your experience of uh, being pregnant during the pandemic, which I would love to share, um, you know, with this with this article. But one of the things I really love that you said of a, of a parallel of experiences um, was no one ever told me that confusion, shock, and ambivalence are perfectly normal, nay, healthy responses to pregnancy as to <laughs> a pandemic. So- <laughs> Tell me more about, about this and what that was like for you. Yeah, well,
1: we found out that we were pregnant the, the week that everything shut down. I mean, it was really just a one, two, like I was going to the store that day, like I said, in the article to, you know, get a thousand rolls of toilet paper. And back when we thought that was, that was a thing and, um, already just facing so much uncertainty. And then I think it was, it, it struck me as so, so interesting later that my experience of finding out I was pregnant wasn't what I always thought it was going to be. And I think that was what I was trying to touch on is that I knew I wanted to have a baby. I knew that I wanted to have a baby with Nicholas. I knew that my body, my body and mind and heart were telling me like, this is the time, but then it happened. And cause we weren't planning, we weren't trying Um, and I felt fear and dread and grief and joy and excitement and confusion. I mean, it really just felt like in that moment I had to face that no one had ever normalized for me that in these huge transitions in life, um, and the planet was going through one as well, that it is normal to, face a full range of emotions that you might not expect.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So once I, I was able to accept that, I think I actually was able to celebrate the pregnancy more because I wasn't faking anything. Mm. <clears throat>
0: That's so, I feel like no other time in one's life has this theme come up of like, or, or so powerfully kind of hit you in the face of like, it's okay to hold multiple truths at the same time and and how how badly we want to hold on to one. And this is like the the language of Britta Bushnell, who mm-hmm. is an amazing birth worker and child birth yeah. educator. And I just love it speaks volumes of like, and yeah, the themes of twenty twenty, which is like <laughs> you can, you know, like the joys of like, Learning how to bake bread, but also being so, so sad that like you can't see your family. And it's okay to be both, but it's such a mind fuck to be both, you know? Yeah. And yeah. like you said, until you kind of accept it, then you can maybe soften and then experience both a little bit more.
1: Yeah. Acceptance goes a long way. And Britta, I I her book, Transformed by Birth, was the one that felt like a lighthouse to me through my pregnancy and then actually postpartum as well because of the imagery of the labyrinth and the number of times i have thought that i was like at the center of the labyrinth and then been wrong is amazing to me that i'm like oh i'm actually still descending
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: the myth of anana as well she just she i think brings a really beautiful perspective like you said to using the journey of uh, pregnancy and birth and then parenthood as a symbol for what we're going through as a people and as a species and as a planet. Um, Yeah. Lots of empathy and gentleness. And that Mm. goes a long way. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: And so, you know, you, before pregnancy, you were someone who were one of those, you know, one of those people who just liked birth and were around birth workers and interested in, in all the juicy details. And so you had sort of a, a a team innately built in, but, but was it your first, like, what were your thoughts around, around where you wanted to give birth and who you wanted to be with you and all those things?
1: Well, I knew right away that I wanted Elena, who's a mutual friend of ours and, um, like a sister to me and someone who's been a doula for a really long time. And she's the main person who's been my kind of frontline birth person and shared stories with me and i didn't even know during covid if we'd be able to have a doula Mm. with us and i didn't know i mean it was so early days that i didn't know what the hospital practice was going to be i didn't know what the birth center i didn't know what home birth would be like it just felt like an extra layer of not necessarily what do i want to do but what can i do Mm. um who can be there with me um But she was a really valuable resource because she told me right away, you know, make an appointment with this OB. Like, regardless of whether you choose home birth, birth center, or the hospital, like, get in with her so you have her as an option. And she was right because um, Dr. Melissa Drake is her name. And she actually just delivered the the royal baby here in town. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. Super, super (laughs) rad because she's just – she is on all levels – an advocate for women and for birth and the midwives love her. Elena loved her. And I knew that if I was going to go the hospital route that I wanted her to be our option. So we began our process with her as our OB. And then it wasn't, it was a few months in that I actually started to ask more questions or a couple months in about, um, yeah, like, why is it that I am just knee-jerk going to go to the hospital? Like, w- in what ways have I been taught that that's the safe place for me to be? In what ways have I actually also felt not safe in the hands of doctors in my in my childhood or in my journey as a, a woman and a person in a female body? And so it brought a lot of that to the surface. And as I digested it and I realized I needed more, more, <laughs> I began to get more curious.
0: Were there hesitations specifically around out-of-hospital birth as well, or fears that came up for you in diving deep around just like around those thoughts around the hospital?
1: Oh, totally. I mean, first we we were in the process of moving. So it was hard for me to picture being in a home at all at that time or giving birth in a home, but it was actually when we moved into our current home that I felt for the first time, I want my baby here. I want to have my baby here. And we didn't have our birth here, but it felt the same. That energy of just quiet and calm and safety. And even though I had heard so many stories of successful home birth, it was hard for me right away to imagine leaning in that hard, if it makes sense. Like at that time, Mm -hmm. I still felt pretty not horrified but so uncomfortable with the experience of being pregnant which honestly was part of my experience of being pregnant. I did not have a comfortable pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And I knew intuitively that having a home birth or having a birth center birth would require me to be so in it as opposed to being able to in some ways just like let someone else take yeah. take it for me. Like, here, oh this baby's going to come, you know what you're doing. Clearly go ahead and take the take the reins for me. Mm. So that shifted throughout my pregnancy. But at the beginning, I was so intimidated by the whole thing. So it's hard for me to imagine being in the driver's seat for that.
0: Mm-hmm. Like leaning in even more and being yeah. in even more discomfort. And yeah. there is a relief in thinking like, and this is the thought, it's never really this way of like, I'll just... Like go to the show up to the hospital and get an epidural and sleep and have a movie and it's it's a (laughs) a lot of work that way too. But it's the illusion that that it could be a little bit more streamlined, like you said, like being able to kind of give it up a little bit to to someone else Mm -hmm. and be like, Mm -hmm. you take this round and yeah, like those
1: beepings must mean that something important's happening and like that there's really nothing to hide behind, kind of scared me at first. And then that ended up being the exact thing that I wanted the most. And it's just funny how the evolution happened naturally. And Mm -hmm. we started our, our care with an OB, but we began the monotrice relationship with the midwives here in town, which is this amazing program that they have where you can work with them for your prenatal care and your postpartum care, and then have a hospital birth. And at the time we thought that mainly actually at that point for insurance reasons and cost reasons that the hospital would be the path for us, especially since we had this great OB who felt like she was going to advocate for the experience that we wanted. Um, and because pretty quickly in pregnancy, I started getting very sick, very nauseous and throwing up a lot. I didn't have... I felt like, where are my people? Who can I talk to? And ROB, because she's present, she was present for, you know, the vast majority of her birth, I think 99%. Like she just really is focused on birth. She doesn't spend that much time with you during pregnancy and especially during COVID. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, you get a you get a telehealth, you get a FaceTime.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I approached the midwives because I really needed to feel that kind of, care and and they offer that and it ended up being the best decision we ever made because when we chose to have our birth with them as well i had already built the relationships with them i already felt really comfortable and safe and in the birth center environment i i was my body just would relax the second i got in there i was like okay
0: mm-hmm.
1: like <laughs> that's
0: a good sign <laughs> mhm mhm and going back to what you were saying of you know, um, navigating just insurance and costs, like how did you, because, because home birth or out of hospital birth, I should say, isn't always an option. And and it has become something that has been associated with like, if you have, if you can have the privilege to have an out of hospital birth and, yes. and how to make it, um, accessible. And, and I know that this was something that you, you know, were considering as well. And, and if you wouldn't mind sharing, like how, how did you navigate that and almost feel like you could justify forking out, you know, $8,000. Yeah. yeah, Um, and yeah, I, I think because we just don't, f- it's so, it's so tempting to just go to a hospital when mm-hmm. the majority is covered and, mm-hmm. and even though the care may be like subpar, it's all you know, for the most part, we think about the health and safety of, mm-hmm. of the birthing person and the baby and, yeah. and sort of in hindsight, do you realize like, oh, maybe I would have liked a little bit more hands-on care that I could have paid a little bit more extra for, but, but in the moment, it's hard. It's hard to make that call. And, um, how, how did you do it and how did, how did you, how did, yeah. How did you guys <laughs> navigate that? Yeah, it,
1: was just in stages. It was interesting. Like I, I think that in my heart, I knew that that's what I wanted pretty, pretty soon after I found out I was pregnant, but I was afraid to admit that. And I was afraid to let go of the associations I had with the hospital around like preparedness for disaster. And Mm. in general, that's a mindset that I've had to face through my life, but it's become so unbelievably potent in pregnancy and now parenthood. Of whoa, you can't think every time something happens, it's going to be a disaster. Um, but the <laughs> um, this is going to be such a funny interview because it's going to be broken up by baby cries and like strange <laughs> choking. And I'm laughing it. at the material, and I'm just. <laughs> I think I knew that I would wanted to attempt an out of hospital birth, but it took me some time. I like I couldn't just go all in. I had to do little baby steps. And so we did the Montrese where I had a baby step and financially it was a baby step as well. It was a fraction of the cost. And so I thought, okay, we at least now have a relationship with them and we can make our choice later. Um, But really what ended up being interesting on our path is that ROB, it was a whole, there was a whole bigger story around it, but there was some, some political stuff that went down at the hospital, just kind of bureaucratic shifting. And that's a a longer story for another day, but, um, I wasn't sure if she was going to be able to be there. Mm. And when that happened, I felt terror because I felt like I was going to be thrown into the hands of a stranger. Um, suddenly I had a, a very different imagination of what the hospital would feel like. And I saw myself, you know, getting a COVID test and then like thrown in a room and left. I mean, obviously that's not the case. Everyone I know who gave birth in the hospital during this time, they were just loved up and cared for. And the nurses were angels and, you know, everybody had, had the right experience for them. But, um, I, it it really got me to pause and go, why am I still attached to the hospital? Should, if it's for money, should I at least make sure that it's going to be cheaper?
0: <laughs> mm. And
1: what's crazy is that it wasn't going to be cheaper. I called my mm. insurance three times, I think, because I didn't believe the first time um, to actually check on what it would have cost us to give birth in the hospital. And it was comparable, actually a tiny bit more than what the birth center would have been or and was. So that just, knocked me on my ass because I was like, that's the reason I've been holding as why we're going to be in the hospital. And then obviously the two vessel cord, which I know we're going to get into, but it was like all these different tests came along. Like, are you sure? Mm. Yes, I'm sure. And then suddenly I wasn't so sure. And, um, we asked for family support and we are incredibly lucky that we even had people that we could turn to and, and say, Hey, you're considering helping us, um, you, you want to be supportive of us during this time, especially since you can't be here because uh, that was really rough for us. with COVID. And um, this is actually what we need, you know, don't get us a thing. Don't get us stuff. Um, we still ended up with stuff secondhand, <laughs> which was really awesome. We, we oh. needed the stuff too. It's amazing how much stuff little babies need, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, so we, we asked our family and friends for support in that. And it was the best decision we could have made.
0: I think that's so insightful to just even check with your insurance first, you know, because I think people just do make that assumption. But yeah, but also everyone has different, you know, plans and and what's covered and then what's what you're left with can be, like you said, the same. amount. And that's just with probably a basic vaginal basic meaning, you know, like standard vaginal birth. If there's any more bells and whistles. Yeah. Forget it. it. Just forget it. Yeah. Yeah, that's yep. so incredible. And then yeah, and then essentially like, you know, asking the community for help because people do want to help, you know, and es- and especially in a time in which like they can't offer their physical sort of presence. Um, yeah, it's amazing how yeah you can you it, people will show up, and I think it, it's just humbling to ask in the first place and then to receive mm-hmm. is is overwhelming
1: big lesson too i mean it's really hasn't stopped like that that Mm. muscle being worked of letting people help and um and asking for it yeah that's (laughs) that has been with us this whole postpartum journey it will probably be with us forever Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the midwives i just want to say too made it feel very possible from the beginning, as far as their it, it just it's proof, like you said, that if you're really interested in it, if you know, you really want to make it happen, there are ways to make it happen because they had a subsidy fund. Mm-hmm. They, which we ended up pulling from because other people really needed it more, but, um, they gave options for paying things off on a timeline. They really want you to have a shot at the experience that you want. And I felt that so strongly. Um and I I want other people to know that as well that if you if you want it ask for it
0: and people
1: will surprise you.
0: <laughs> yeah. To- truly. Um and so then at what point so what point was this that you officially transferred to them to the midwives in the, at the birth center?
1: I'm trying to remember that. It it was actually later. Then, then I <laughs> was thinking about it. It was in the late twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really had like, I think thirty to, I mean, to, to 39 weeks um, with them as like knowing we were going to give birth with them, sure. but nothing changed in our care. That's what's funny is because mm-hmm. I was already seeing them for my prenatals. So, it just was like, okay, well, you're going to do this here now. This is what it will cost. This is what, you know, it'll look like Mm -hmm. moving forward. Um, If somebody else had made that decision at that point, they would have kind of gotten that person in more so that they could all build a relationship with them. Um, But I had already had appointments with each midwife who works at this birth center. So it was just a a moment and a call to my OB and to, to tell her, you know, person to person, how much I appreciated her and how much, um, I valued what she brought to the table. And, um, not that it was like, sh- she, she's not like, Oh no, you're leaving. I won't have a baby to bring to the world. Right. She's got a million births, but I just felt like I needed to tell her like what it meant that she is mm-hmm. doing what she's doing in that hospital environment when it is still kind of counterculture. Cause she's the yeah. only person who does VBACs here. And, um, yeah. And it turns out that the midwives now have more freedom with having her be on board as a transfer doctor Mm -hmm. for their clients. So it's really just turned into a beautiful thing, um, that
0: evolved over the time that we were pregnant. So Mm. I'm grateful. That's amazing. And that also just like, you know, I know that that can cause a lot of rift and a lot of pushback from, the hospital. But ultimately that's, that's the future of like doctors and midwives working together. They're being this symbiotic relationship and there's not this like thing of like, you know, Oh, the midwives are taking business from me and more just like, no. yes, you, you are a normal, healthy, pregnant person. You yeah. should be with that, you know, that, yeah. the, that group of providers. And I will be yeah. here in case anything turns high risk and yep. Yep. it lowers it just lowers the the trauma associated with transfer and, and all those things like that. So yeah, it's incredible that she is um, so driven and willing to kind of make that, yeah. that thing because it's hard to come by. And yeah,
1: I really got that impression. It, it opened my eyes sometimes too wide. I think at times to seeing how the, the two worlds can, Interface with each other in a way that that isn't healthy, Mm. but she just set my whole body at ease when, especially because we had a a variation that I talked to her on the phone and and she she just gave her biggest blessing. She was like, "Oh, it's it's less expensive there. Oh, do that, you know." And then she said, "I will be there. I can commit to being your doctor if you transfer." Um, And she said, "But I expect I'll just get a good report from the midwives." And those words meant so much to me. I mean, I kept coming back to them in moments when I felt more insecure. Wow. So I just felt like it was Christmas Day because I was like, "I get her if I go to the hospital. I get the Aww. midwives." And I think it also destigmatized the hospital, which is an interesting thing to reflect on. But I mm. felt pretty strongly that if I had transferred, it was going to be okay. And I think that, in some ways, that I don't know. Maybe I didn't need to be at the hospital because I didn't need to face my beef with it. In, in mm-hmm. And like, I just had such a complex relationship with it where it was almost like the, the savior where it's like, it's either going to save me or mm-hmm. it's going to traumatize me. But the whole process of working with her allowed me to just see it more for what it is, which is a really incredible resource when it's needed. And um, ultimately not where I wanted to be and that that was okay. And that was a choice and other people make different choices and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that kind of like softening around it can like break that hard shell in either direction, which then is the very thing that, you know, helps you go when you're just a little bit more flexible and open, but it's hard to get to that place, you know, but it's that, that, it's that sort of acceptance of like, of, of trust and faith in the process, but also just, but that softening so that ultimately you end up getting the thing that you had intended on, but yeah. Yeah. not being so kind of hard pressed around another, around the other can yeah. um can really help just in fact <laughs> get the thing that works.
1: It just the, the word softening is coming up a lot and I just I'm thinking back to it and part of the experience is that I was just vomiting so much that at that point like I think about it now I'm like, wow well, like why was I not rigid around this and that? It's like because I had been worked to a pulp, and I yeah. really felt that that was the one of the gifts. Maybe <laughs> gift mm-hmm. at the time didn't feel like a word, but it absolutely was clear to me through that experience that I just I, I was down to like my essential raw <laughs> mm-hmm. human. Intuitive state of like, this feels good. This doesn't feel good. I just need to be mental because I don't have the bandwidth to be hard right now. Mm. And the midwives, you know, speaking a little bit more into what drew me to them as well was that they were the ones who first started to connect with me on, okay, this is happening in your pregnancy. How are you tending to these other parts of you? Um, Wasn't just a medical thing. Like the doctors gave me a prescription for for nausea medication that I didn't feel good about, but I had, I had it. And then the midwives were more like, okay, let's look at your nutrition. Let's look at your spiritual life. Let's look at your relationship. um, Let's look at the ways that you're just going to not go insane. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I felt
0: like a whole person with them. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm.
1: I think having a difficult pregnancy, that was essential for me.
0: Yeah. And even if, you know, you check all the boxes holistically in the sense that like everything is seemingly you're hitting all the marks. It's just so nice to even have someone inquire about those parts of you when you're feeling so like not yourself, you know, and so low and to kind of, to be forced to check in in that way is, is so much a part of the holistic, you know, nature of, of midwifery care and 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 regardless if it if it if it like helped curve it or not it's just (laughs) you know yeah feel feel buoyed when yes you are completely like you said kind of pulverized and down tolerate it yeah
1: you know they couldn't fix it for me but it helped me to tolerate the discomfort which prepped me for labor Mm. and it's prepped me for parenthood of just going like you know (laughs) yeah, maybe you're not thriving in this moment, but like, what are some areas of your life that you can tend to right now that are within your control mm-hmm. that can maybe not make you stop vomiting or maybe not make this painful thing, stop whatever it is, but it can help you to get through it. Cause you can get through it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of like, there's some time, I mean, it's pretty normal. I think it's pretty common that the, the sort of, you know, the, the, the growing pains of pregnancy brings a lot of aches physically mm-hmm. emotionally <laughs> it's, it's it's a lot and I think it's but it's also important to yeah like one of the midwives I worked with um at uh, the birth center was you know she would often ask after kind of like a client was really expressing a lot of stuff going on in her life and it was like okay well and what brings you joy you know yeah. and it was like oh d- there there is joy I have to yeah. like but you know to touch down on it and not to like yeah. not to ignore the other stuff or undermine it but more like let's call that in as well and yes. remember that that's part of life.
1: That's a that's a radical move and it was especially radical during covid when everyone yeah. was having like there was a global anxiety ang- you know anxiety attack happening and so yeah. it was more tempting than ever i think to me to just feed that part of me that already runs anxious and Um, that's been a part of my journey in my life. It's been part of my journey postpartum for sure. And in pregnancy, I can see now how some of that track that's helped me heal postpartum was laid because I had to be so discerning about what information I took in. Mm -hmm. I couldn't just be in a state of panic all day, every day because everyone else was, it's just so pregnancy really. Yeah. It, like you said, it's just, it'll get to the essential core truth. Pretty quickly for you. Yeah.
0: If you choose to look. And so I want to talk about Felix's variation of a two-vessel cord. And for those who don't know, most babies are born with three vessels, two arteries and a vein, and a variation of normal is a two-vessel cord, in which the biggest risk would be growth, in that the baby is not growing adequately, not getting as much of you know nutrients and blood flow through the placenta. Or from the placenta, from the pregnant person via the umbilical cord. So, um, that was something that you discovered at your anatomy scan, or? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 20 weeks ish. Yes. 20 weeks ish.
1: Um, I had never heard of it, you know. Uh, it does seem like it's pretty rare. And the person who was doing the anatomy scan, the doctor actually said, this is one of those things that we couldn't even find until pretty recently. And now we get ourselves into all sorts of trouble. <laughs> so, true. so she was not somebody to have any kind of like bedside manner particularly. Like she's a very blunt person. So mm-hmm. I think I already felt like she would have told me probably really bluntly if this was scary
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> or, I
1: mean, it, it was concerning,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: um, I actually did a pretty good move where I learned that and didn't Google it, which is something that is so tempting to do. It's something that I have done admittedly many times since with different things. And now, especially being a parent, I'm like, what's that? But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, in that moment, I just didn't want to, didn't want to know. I talked to Elena. I, um, I wrote to you. I just, I asked the midwives and they had seen it before and kind of echoed what you said, which is just that most of the time it, it is fine and they'll be checking him more for growth and they'll be checking his heart um, to make sure that he is just just that little extra bit like, oh, it can sometimes have these things that are associated. Um, and then later in pregnancy, before birth, I there was concern that um, just how, you know, because it wasn't as thick, they thought as a typical cord that, um, it would be more likely to potentially get knotted.
0: Mm. Um,
1: there was some concern about that. And so that of course was scary to, to think about, but I did non-stress tests every week before birth, um, oh. to check his heart. And I felt that even though that was, there was a chance of that, that there's always a chance of something happening with the cord in birth. Mm -hmm. And that, um, if I was in the birth center and they were monitoring him, um, that there would be no reason to doubt that we're fine unless that they would know basically if it wasn't fine. And they assured me that they would, and they had, um, they have a pretty conservative transfer policy. So I knew that they weren't going to be pushing it if it wasn't okay. So it was just really interesting to hold the the knowledge that, you know, here's this, this baby and there's this pregnancy and it's not like textbook, which of course mm-hmm. no one, no none are. And mm-hmm. just like people were not textbook, you know, and this was just one of the things that we were handed, but he grew like crazy <laughs> during pregnancy. He was born <laughs> almost nine pounds. And oh my goodness. Um, they, I mean, they could see through the ultrasound, even though that technology is obviously not always spot on with the, with the weight, they could see that he was big enough and that there was enough fluid. And uh, he, <laughs> when I saw the cord, when he was born and I got to look at the cord, we were just marveling at the fact that, yeah, it had two vessels, but they were both bigger. And it was like nature had compensated for this this variation. And um, that moment, I just remember post-birth going like, okay, this is is such a good reminder. Um, And in a way, I think having that extra monitoring toward the end, hilariously, like made me feel more empowered to have an out-of-hospital birth Mm -hmm. or at least attempt it because I had this, you know, extra like, you know, beep, beep, beeping and checking and looking at him. And um, I didn't want to have those, you know, repeated ultrasounds throughout the end, but I just surrendered to it. And as a result, I really felt like we were set up to have a good shot at that. So it kind of put my mind and heart at ease, which was interesting to reflect on.
0: That's amazing. It is. And, and, and when it's used, you know, judiciously, that stuff can be really empowering and, and, and like proof that like, oh, this is, we're good. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And, and, and even more affirming and like confirming of like the place in which you want to give birth, which is without all the beeping, but like the beeping's great for yeah. all this, but like, <laughs> you're good, you know, too. And like, and then when it's time, you can yeah. drop the reins and go, you know?
1: Yeah. Yep. And what's funny is that, um, Elena, so being my doula and friend, she'd never seen a two vessel cord in her practice, but during this time she had two clients. Wow. With them. And so, you know, I am curious on kind of a more esoteric level, like what, you know, what is, that is interesting. Like, what does that mean? And maybe it's nothing, but it, it was just good to be on that journey with her where she just had a lot of curiosity and, um. Um, was learning a lot and just along for the ride with us and supporting me and feeling whatever way I felt about it. And ultimately just, yeah, letting us make whatever choice felt like it was the best one at the time. And, Mm -hmm. and I'm just really, really grateful that everything ended up being okay. Cause I know Mm -hmm. that even though it is rare in that case, um, that there are situations where it does lead to complications. And I just feel like the fact that there wasn't, was just something to be celebrated and just wow just really really grateful and for me more I think the impact that it had was once again getting me to face this this part of myself that thought okay well now you have an excuse you have to be at the hospital someone's Mm -hmm. telling you Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: it just that still needed to break down for me but I I I still held on to it a little bit longer going like, well, now we have a medical reason. So if my friends ask me why I'm not having a home birth, I can say, mm-hmm. well, this is, we have this variation. And it was like,
0: no, that, let it go. Mm-hmm. Let it go. It's going to be okay. And it was. Totally. It's like a choose your own adventure, you know, of like, you can, you can go that way and you can go the other way. It's just a matter of what, what do you want out of the experience, you know? And, yeah. and, um, because both are safe and valid options, but it's just a matter of yeah, what are you looking at? what are you looking for out of this? are you are you wanting to grow and be challenged or right now in this time in your life, is it better to f- just feel extra safe with the with the beeping and the bells and the whistles you know mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. or are you at a time in your life in which you're like wanting to kind of have your hero's journey of, of sort of like, yeah, yeah, looking at these things as tests and yeah. and what are you going to do with them sort of thing, which is yeah, um, interesting. I
1: and can see so, how the hospital would also have been like, and could be that for some people. And I just want to yeah. name that because at a time I actually thought being in the hospital would be a healing experience for me because I had had not mm. so great experiences with doctors where I didn't always feel that they respected me as a young person. Like didn't include me in what they were doing, you know? And so I thought, okay, well, having a a provider who I really trust in this environment is going to heal this for me. And Mm -hmm. I think that that healing did happen just through having, you know, the medical experiences we had during pregnancy. And so it's funny how maybe that is when things shifted is when my my own desire to grow you know, that intuitive place that I couldn't name, but was there just pulled me away from that because it went, okay, we, we don't need that anymore. We mm. need to go on this path. And so mm-hmm. that's such a big gift of pregnancy is being kind of at the, <laughs> like in the room with your intuition in a new way, um, sometimes in a scary way.
0: Totally. And, and so in preparing for birth and preparing for this, like, possibility you know obviously anyone who chooses an out-of-hospital birth plans for or not plans for prepares for the possibility of Mm -hmm. transferring and what that would look like and you know what are the what are the scenarios and but it's also pretty you know vague of like this is your percentage and your but it was a little bit more a little bit more Mm -hmm. real risk Mm -hmm. for you and so Mm -hmm. how did you feel like you could be attached but also unattached and Mm -hmm. and how did you feel and how you know also i'm sure you've heard from elaine and other people like the the as you mentioned earlier like the leaning into the unmedicated birth process how did you feel like physically you could prepare for that if you were you know spending a lot of first half of your pregnancy feeling pretty (laughs) wacky to say the least
1: Yeah. Um, One thing that felt really empowering to me in the last bit of pregnancy with the midwives was to let them know what my needs were around communication. And I think Mm -hmm. knowing that I was running more anxious and that that's a part of me, that information actually was soothing to me, not like I wanted to know, I wanted to be included in what was happening and that if there was something going on that they would tell me as opposed to someone else who maybe didn't want to know. And so I felt that I could trust them because I had been really clear like, hey, if something's up, let me know. Um, and that if we were going to transfer, I would have been given that information in an honest way way, if there was Mm -hmm. anything alarming, that they weren't going to be, they were going to be sensitive, but they also weren't going to keep it from me in a way that made me feel disrespected because that is Mm -hmm. what I had experienced before. Um, so that allowed me to lean in to, I think the, the experience of going with them. And as far as the unmedicated aspect of things, um, yeah, part partially being so sick, I think I had already confronted a lot of how my mind behaves, especially mm-hmm. when I am in wild amounts of discomfort. <laughs> like pregnancy was a meditation in that way. It was a meditation on discomfort. So that said, nothing could actually prepare me for what labor was like and what birth was like. It's it's not the same.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> not even close. Um but at the same time I felt like I had befriended the little like psychotic monkey that lives in my head that was like you won't survive. You won't survive. Like, there's no way someone can throw up this much. And I'm like, oh, yeah, actually they can like, you, this isn't wrong. You can't survive this amount of pain. Like, well, actually you can. So mm-hmm. that, that was a good setup, um, that did help. And it's still helping. <laughs> it's a deal. It's a day-to-day thing. It's like mm-hmm. still
0: learning that. Mm-hmm. The, like the pressure gauge of capability, like goes in the red and then it like cracks, you know, and then you go to another, you get to another realm and level of new. Oh my God. Yeah. It keeps keeps growing and keeps
1: changing. But what stays the same is like, well, how do you behave when you feel like you're in chaos? And for Mm -hmm. me, it was again, like coming back to this theme, which has been huge for me this year is like, what part of me was the little girl, like the little person who learned to kind of catastrophize things in my head so that I wasn't shocked when bad things mm-hmm. happened. Like that was a defense mechanism that probably served me really well as a kid, but it has needed to die. And this year really pulled it to the forefront and has given me multiple opportunities to just like take a hammer and whack it, whack them all.
0: And it's interesting, yeah. I feel like sometimes if you know, I it, it's always a bit of a red flag when I have clients who tell me in their pregnancy that like it's been an easy pregnancy and it's been amazing and like they just assume everything else is going to go so great because everyone gets it somewhere everyone gets the like whack-a-mole somewhere and so I have to gently you know let them know that it's coming and you don't know where it's coming and it Mm -hmm. could be labor Mm -hmm. but there is something that has to die in order to Mm -hmm. make room to give birth. You know, and mm-hmm. yeah. a, a psychological thing, not it obviously a, a physical, but yeah. or at least you know, hopefully not the physical. But it's but it's yeah. a um, yeah, it's it's a part of you that isn't going to serve you. Moving from, you know, yeah, like you said, the the, the child to to the the caregiver, and um, it yeah. did at one point. For a long yeah. time, but now it's time to switch roles, and so it—you see it. I see it a lot in labor that that like yeah. clinging to those old yeah. ways, and just watching that, watching it finally like just mm-hmm. disintegrate, and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And then this phoenix like mm-hmm. that rises, and then it's the baby, you know. So it's mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. It's incredible, but. um It's hard as shit too. And so it's, so it's just amazing that, you know, it, it, you, that's where, I mean, you also got it. Yeah. I got it again. Well, (laughs) but you know, it's like in some way it started, it started with the pregnancy to Mm -hmm. for birth. And then I feel like labor is actually not so much work when you've done a lot of it emotionally in the pregnancy.
1: Yeah, there were there were different parts of it that were hard. Not as many of the like there there were things that came up in labor that I had to watch my mind spin out. Um, but yeah, I think that pregnancy and postpartum were the areas that I was stepping through the fire the most. And part of the lesson that I've had to learn is that mindset that I actually had too of oh my pregnancy's been so hard. Like I'll be rewarded, (laughs) you know. The universe will give me a good, an easy birth and an easy postpartum. Like that's just not how it works. Mm. But Mm -hmm. the skills that I gained during pregnancy um, did serve me during the whole time, and it's just not linear. That was the other really important lesson that came through: was like it's possible to have like a hard time in the beginning an easier time in the middle, hard time at the end. Like there's possible for joy to be sprinkled throughout that. It's just not the way that movies make it out to be. It's not the way we're taught. Like it's just this arc. Um, It's way messier than that. (laughs) It's been good to just accept that. It's been such a good teacher for me. The the labyrinth has been a metaphor and a, a visual that has, has been more important to me than anything because I keep thinking that like, Oh, I'm still, I'm still in it.
0: So much so it's so it's so it's such a beautiful symbol of life, but definitely so pertinent to becoming a parent. Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear about your birth. And you said you made it to 39 weeks. Yep. And yeah, yeah, take it away. (laughs) Um,
1: God, it's so funny how so the amnesia is real. That's one thing Mm -hmm. that I I can just say from being six, six and a half months out is I can remember it. And I also have forgotten some of the visceral pain. And I think this is why people have more than one kid. (laughs) It's the only way. Um, and I think just because postpartum has been challenging for me that in some ways, birth feels like a distant, like a very distant Mm -hmm. thing. But at the same time, when I'm holding Felix or when I'm dreaming or just by myself, sometimes I can feel like the memory come back in a really powerful way. Because it's just reminding me, I think that it's in me and it's with me. And that I have what I need to go through what I'm going through now. And birth, I left birth feeling stronger Mm -hmm. and I feel so grateful that I had the kind of experience that I walked very slowly (laughs) away Mm -hmm. from feeling, (laughs) yeah, feeling like, feeling empowered. And (laughs) it's funny because I thought we'd have a long birth. Everyone told me we'd have a long birth because Mm -hmm. it's the first time and Uh, my mom, when she had me, I was breached. And so her birth was quickly, was quick, our birth, mine with her. (laughs) But I think that that might've partially
0: been Mm -hmm. because
1: of my position. So I couldn't really look at my mom and go, Oh, I mean, I have a similar experience to her, which some people say there's pattern, but I, Mm -hmm. I felt some shifting happen in the day before Felix was born. Like I, for the first time took a photo of myself. Pregnant. Like, I took a photo of myself in the mirror. I, I think I'd done that maybe one other time, but I felt compelled suddenly to like mark this moment in time. And
0: mm.
1: I could feel things happening, but I, I wasn't having like a slow buildup where I was, you know, I lost my mucus plug or um, could feel it was told that I was a little bit dilated. Like, I just felt like it could be weeks. Mm-hmm. And then that morning, the morning of the fourth, around five. Um, I started to feel cramping just like what felt like period cramps and, um, some, you know, like a lot more liquid than I had remembered being there. And I thought my water had broken and it hadn't, but I think maybe that I actually lost my mucus plug and, um, my cat came and burrowed next to me. <laughs> she could tell, you know, she could mm-hmm. tell something was happening. And now of course she's run for the hills. She's, she's always hiding in the house because she's like, wait, there's a baby on the other <laughs> side of this. <laughs> not like, what I, not I, for that. yeah. But no, I, I felt magic. I felt a little bit of magic in those early morning hours. And I was texting with Elena and saying, Hey, I think, you know, things are happening. And she said to try and sleep and, Called her around seven and she just said, you know, go for a walk, make a cup of tea. And I'm thinking to myself, Oh, I'm going to wrap Christmas presents. I'm going to have my labor project. Like, (laughs) And within 20 minutes from that phone call ending, I was on all fours, like having to take deep breaths because I just active labor came on like a train. Wow. And it was not long before I was just in the tub like it was just the only place that I could conceive of being
0: at your house, the tub at my room. house. Yeah. yeah.
1: Just a tub in our home. Um, Nicholas, my fiance being like, I'm going to, I'm going to call Elena. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to call her. And she said, I can come whenever. He's like, come now. come mm-hmm. Now that was good. <laughs> um, and when she got here, um, I was already in a state, you know, it had been, it was like 10, 10 in the morning at this point. And, um, I was having contractions that were back to back in sets of three mm. with only about like maybe a minute in between.
0: Like, oh my God, right
1: away. And um I again had to face that idea that I would have time between contractions to recalibrate mm-hmm. and kind of get my you know, like, wait, no, I, I need a sec. I need a sec. And mm-hmm. my body my and Felix, Felix is like, no, I'm going to be born today. Like, this is my time. Haley's birthday. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the one point in labor that actually felt like I went into a, f- like my m- fear mind uh, was concerned like Elena wondering, okay, is there something positionally that's going on? Because you are in so much pain Mm. so fast. Mm -hmm. Um, Like maybe he's in, you know, the kind of place that that would be creating that kind of, you know, back labor pain and everything. And um, that was the only time that I can remember really going into my head and going, something might be wrong. Mm. I'm, you know, I'm going to go to the hospital. I basically thinking, I can't tolerate this for another three days Mm -hmm. or even, even another day. Mm -hmm. And I said that to her, I was like, I don't know if I can do it. Mm -hmm. And I think she took that seriously and thinking, okay, like if that is the case, like we're going to need some medication and that'll be okay. But she tried to do some spinning babies and I was like, get your hands off of me. Like (laughs) that was the, and she went, huh? Interesting. And it's funny how in labor, labor land, like any word can become this, Mm.
0: this like, Mm
1: -hmm. that was like, interesting, interesting, interesting. Like it like reverberated through my body. And I was like, what does that mean? And I find out later that she just said, oh, well, because you didn't want to be touched. And that's not usually something that happens until you're kind of in transition or later. And, And, but at the time I thought that meant something's Terribly wrong. No one ever says interesting.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. I
1: mean, it in a good way. Curious. <laughs> yeah. Huh. but anyway, um, I was, I was in the tub for a long time. I found out from Elena texting that we were going to have the, the team that I most wanted. We had the midwife who I felt the most mm-hmm. connected to. She was on that day. Um, and I really was just in this state of actually falling asleep for 90 seconds between contractions And I didn't wow. know that was a real thing but it absolutely was my body would get through the contraction and then just like my head was on the ceramic and I just charged up wow <laughs> and um so around noon Alyssa who was our midwife said like you know come on in and Elena her intuition I think was saying like yeah let's let's go get her checked
0: were you feeling and, anything else besides the contractions, like any pressure in your butt or
1: was there any bloody show? Not, there was some bloody show as I was leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember Elena saying, look it, it's there. And I was like, uh, you know, at that point I was just, <laughs> I felt like I was attached to a train um, yeah. and it was going. And yeah. the one image that surprised me that came up that just spontaneously arrived was that I imagined the, sh- the the pain as these ships as boats and I was trying to blow them away like when mm-hmm. I was breathing I was like trying to imagine like paper ships like floating mm-hmm. across the water but that was the thing that my mind came up with or my you know my lizard brain to get the kind of breath that did bring like this much relief a tiny bit of relief wow so that was pretty cool I was digging that up and I love that we left right as our beloved chiropractor was arriving because we were going to have adjustments that day. And he was doing Webster with me throughout pregnancy, which is a type of um, gentle chiropractic care that really helps baby be in a good position and helped my body. And chiropractic isn't something that's been really essential for me for a long time with my body. And anyway, he was showing up with his table and I'm like... <laughs> Elephant walking, like holding on to Nick's back, trying to get to the car. He was like, oh, okay.
0: <laughs> not needed today. Did. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, and we got to the birth center and Alyssa checked me and she was like, there's no cervix.
0: Like, oh my <laughs> God, that's crazy. Were you shocked? Was it like yeah. not shocking in the moment or were you in like, I was relieved.
1: I was yeah. in pain and I was kind of scared and overwhelmed, but I was relieved because when she said that, it was like a validation of mm-hmm. what my body was doing and that I wasn't in early labor thinking, oh my God. Because one thing that I did think was, oh God, other women can do this for two days
0: mm-hmm. unmedicated.
1: What? Mm-hmm. And I was in transition thinking, like, this is early labor. No, it was really intense. And so, in that moment, I think there was just some grace that came mm. through for myself and from her. And, and I felt like, okay, yeah, the work's not over, but we're entering a new phase now.
0: Yeah.
1: And, uh, and he's okay, you know? Um, so that was, that was amazing. And um, we got the tub filled up. there, a beautiful big tub that Nicholas could be in with me. And um, Elena was there and, the midwife assistant who I loved was there and um, I just felt like the room was full of some joy and ease, Mm. you know, I'm, and then I started to get into like the pushing mode and I'm thinking to myself like everybody, all hands on deck. And Alyssa's, you know, like, Oh, I love that kind of yogurt. Like talking to Nicholas, just being so kind of casual, but in a way that I look back on that, that was really good for me because it wasn't like (laughs) everyone's stressed out. Like nobody was stressed out. (laughs)
0: Yeah. It was like a like <laughs> I was nice to afternoon, <laughs> you know?
1: Oh man. Yeah. They were, they were going to be home in time for dinner. You know, it was like not in the middle of the night. Um, yeah. So they were, I think of the yogurt because I have this distinct memory of being like, stop fucking trying to feed me yogurt. Like I don't want <laughs> yogurt. They're trying to get some food and water in me and I was just like not having it. But, um, pushing was crazy that's what happened next. I mean, the whole thing is just bonkers. Birth Mm -hmm. is just nuts. And that phase of things, um, I didn't know what to expect, obviously, but I'd heard kind of a variation of people saying it was my favorite part. People saying it was the hardest part. It was the worst part. Um, for me, it wasn't either, but I did like that. I felt like I had something to do quote unquote, like, The contractions, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: instead of just taking over me, they were they were something that I could actually work with. And of course, I was shocked that where the sensation was coming from. You know, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to push a baby out of this part of my body, and instead, I just like everyone says, it's just like such intense pressure in your rectum, and
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I mean, it just just insane. Um, But with every push and with every contraction. Alyssa kept saying, that's how you have a baby.
0: Wow. (laughs)
1: And I was like, no, that's not, there's no way. And she's like, yeah, that's it. And that's how you do monitoring. Yeah. They're, I mean, there's just so much lightheartedness and and really like that was the exact right environment for Felix because that is so how he is Mm -hmm. and fiery and fast. And like everybody there was just like, kind of, I felt like they were meeting him
0: where Mm -hmm. he was at
1: and, Mm -hmm. um, I just, I'm so grateful for that. But they were monitoring him. Uh, the second midwife there was was monitoring and um, checking his heart and everything looked good. And um, about an hour and a half of pushing later, they said to me, okay, his heart is sounding like he wants to be born. And I didn't know what that meant, but I was stepping out of the water. Like they were helping me get out of the water. And I interpreted that to mean, get him out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I did, I just pushed his head out. And I think that if I had pushed a few more times to do that, I wouldn't have torn. And I did a little bit. Mm. Uh, I had a second degree tear, but um, I just, you know, I I went, okay, get him out. And I sat on the bed, lifted my leg up and birthed his head and Nick hadn't even gotten out of the water yet. He, he didn't even have a towel. He's just like, Oh, you know, comes over. And, um, the first thing that Felix did was do a, a 360 and look the other way. Wow. crazy thing. Like he just, his head came out and then he just turned around. And so they said, wow, like he's looking both ways. That's <laughs> now that I know him a little more, I'm like, Oh, you just wanted to see everybody's face
0: mm-hmm. see People person. But, mm. um,
1: yeah, that and then the the body felt not as hard after that, obviously. Um and I remember the the moment of birthing the placenta, which happened pretty quickly. Um, Courtney, one of the women there, said, You're officially done giving birth to things. And that was <laughs> the best sentence anyone has
0: ever said to me. Thank God.
1: Yeah. <sighs> And he had actually passed meconium in the womb, and so they pulled the tool to suction him, and there was some concern over that, but nobody was getting too worked up or anything, but um, they didn't end up needing to use it. He breath- He was breathing, and he was okay, um, but I knew that things were okay when their biggest complaint was like, oh, I opened this tool, and now I'm not going to be able to mm-hmm. use it because <laughs> And I was like, "Well, if that's what you're, wor- you know, you're worried about, he must be okay. We're okay." Yeah. And yeah, I just put him in my arms. It was the best moment in my life.
0: Wow, that's incredible, <laughs> and just, I mean, truly unexpected, especially for a first-time parent. And that's just uh, like a daytime birth, a birth that's less than. I mean, how fast? Like that was.
1: He was born at one forty-two. So.
0: And you started feeling at like five, five in the morning. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Which can you know, and some people are like, "Oh, I'm so envious." But also, there, you know, it can be like yeah. you said. It's like you're attached to a train. It can be a little mm-hmm. too much, you know. Yeah.
1: I think. And thanks for saying that because I think it's been. I wouldn't trade the birth we had, of course, because I feel so grateful that we had a straightforward, healthy birth where I wanted to be you know, like that we were both healthy and happy. And, um, and when people say, oh, you know, fast birth is an easy birth. I go like, "Mm, Mm -hmm. birth is birth, you know? And I, I'm, I don't envy, you know, that I know that the long haul is a marathon and that that really tests people in other ways, but this, my body didn't have any time to rest. And Mm -hmm. I basically felt like somebody lit a firecracker
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm.
1: uh, like, yeah. So it was very, very painful, but it was over quickly. So, you mm-hmm. know, there's all, it always something you don't have an unmedicated birth without having a wild ride. That's yeah. for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm and they're so glad. There can be that like shock. I mean, was Nicholas, what was Nicholas's like, you know, sort of reaction or feeling after?
1: He was amazing. I mean,
0: it- <laughs> he and
1: Elena, I knew they would be great, but they were, they just were so, like Elena said, she she never, her heart rate never raised. Like she was just so calm in the birth. And I was not, obviously I was the birthing person, but it really is amazing to reflect on the fact that they, they were just aware that everything was okay. And they weren't scared mm-hmm. at any point. And Nicholas just, it I mean, I've known this about him since we and together, but he, he just has the ability to make people feel really safe and really held. And mm. it was really needed. And he just, he was just there and he was excited and intrigued by the whole thing, which was really beautiful because mm. I didn't want to, for example, look at, look at the head while I was crowning, like when Felix was crowning, I didn't want to see the mirror, but he was like, maybe cool. Like, you know, and, and had more curiosity than I did. So Sure. He got to see, see Felix be born and has lived to tell the tale.
0: (laughs) It's amazing. And, and so for you, your postpartum, I mean, what were the early weeks, months like, and how, and when did it transition from like, oh, this is normal, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of like the high from birth mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. parenthood to like, Oh, this is now moving into an area in which is, is, is problematic and, you know, yeah. Need some support.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I've been reflecting a lot on entering into this conversation and feeling like I can talk about the postpartum time in a way that's not opening it up um, mm-hmm. too much. Cause it's it's like they say to speak from or right from the wound, but after the wound is healed. And I'm aware that this is still really present for me and really potent for me. And I have a new relationship to it now. So it's kind Mm -hmm. of, it's good timing. And I still feel raw and I might for a while in this. And I just want to name that because I think that there's, I put a lot of expectation on myself around what my own healing journey would look like, and when I get to like tell the, the victory story of like, oh, and then she slayed the dragon, yeah. and it's just not like that. It's so much more complex. And so I'm still very much journeying through it. But I, because of the birth that we had, um, I was just, I mean, the chemicals, all the good, all the good feelings, all the oxytocin, you know, just flowing. And we basically described our immediate postpartum time is ecstasy. Like we really felt that for a solid day. And then there was other emotions of just tenderness that came in a lot of tears and, you know, milk comes in lots of tears and, Mm -hmm. but really felt present and calm and, um, a lot of love. And during that beginning time, um, in the first week postpartum, um, a few things happened. One, my grandfather passed away. So mm-hmm. there's this big, significant event in my family that held a lot of grief and also a lot of beauty because he got to learn of Felix's birth
0: mm-hmm. and know
1: his name. And, you know, it, it was not unexpected, the passing, but it still was a big shift. And there was also a lot of anxiety. And I look back on it now and other people's anxiety that. Mm came into our little vulnerable birth nest. And we were, I mean, it's December 4th. We were peak COVID times here in Santa Barbara, like shelter in place. Um, everybody, I think, in my life was in the darkest place with it that they described, where mm-hmm. no one was reaching out. <laughs> no one was coming forth. And people, if they did, had... A level of anxiety in them. Mm-hmm. And in particular, a couple of family members um, who came into our space physically, who brought that with them. And I had no idea how much, how open I still was. Mm. Like I just didn't realize that I, you know, it took me however many hours to open up to let Felix out, but I did not close in that same amount of time physically or emotionally. Yeah. And I really look at it now and and think that some of that adrenaline and anxiety got lodged in my body because I'm also more prone to anxiety as a person anyway.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that happened early days, but it wasn't until about eight weeks, between eight and 10 weeks that I think that kind of came to a head and we were navigating dynamics with trying to see our family um even though my mom and dad are here like my you know some of my relatives got covid it was just we were feeling really isolated and i was holding it all day and just but fully in you know motherhood and felix and and also just all the joy of that and excitement of that but then at night when i would go to go to sleep it was like the floodgates would just open and that was when my body, mind, heart decided to process all of the intensity that I was feeling and all the anxiety. And um, I felt like I was attached to a train again, but a different kind and one that I desperately wanted to get off of. Mm -hmm. And nobody normalized for me until later that postpartum, especially like, you know, mood disorders can actually peak and take on new life in the, you know, month three and month four, like I really felt like I was supposed to be good at that point. And I'd had my six week appointment. I felt at that point too, a lot of grief because this relationship with the midwives was changing and I felt so held by them. And because my body too looked relatively quote unquote normal again, like I, my, my body pretty quickly changed back to its its shape that I was familiar to me. Um, people looked at me and thought that I was in a different place than I was in. And mm. um, these are people who were also seeing like through a glass window because it's COVID. <laughs> and so it built up and I... I started to feel like not only my experience was being erased because people looked at me and thought a certain thing, but that it wasn't okay for me to be experiencing this amount of anxiety because I was supposed to be better and I was out of the first 40 days. And that amount of like denial and confusion of my experience just made it grow 10 more heads, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so much there. And I, I it's really, I mean, 2020 in general, people who weren't, I mean, yes, whatever, if you, if you already, if you, if you enter this journey with a like a anxiety or depression and any sort of like mood, mood disorder, it, they say you will get it and it will be compounded in the postpartum. Yeah. But People who were not even at risk were experiencing yeah. anxiety and depression. I mean, it was just, mm-hmm. it was just through the roof. Um, Yep. The stress, the the panic was so real and so visceral, and um, and it's hard because yeah, it, it starts at a time in which you're out of care, and it's been something that I've because of 2020, I've changed my practice to do a check in at month four. Wow. Um, because it's alarming how uh, not yeah. well, you know, things are going, yeah. and yeah. and they don't they don't turn to you because you've said you've had your last appointment and yep yep um so it's been from based on these experiences you know and i say that not to undermine yours or not make it unique but it's like this was a collective experience that oh yeah you know was so um huge and impactful and has, and has changed for the better, like mm. to check in at month four, because not only emotionally, but also babies are going through, a you yeah. know, sleep changes at month four. Oh and, yeah. yeah. So, um, what was that like in navigating help when you were sort of quote unquote out of their care? And did you have yeah. a primary doctor? And, um, and the other thing, other question I, I had for you had, because you because you were someone who experienced anxiety, did you have a therapist mm-hmm. in place prior to pregnancy yeah. who you would touch base with post?
1: Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, I'm so glad you're doing that because I know that this experience has made me want to just change what I'm doing and just put all of my energy into postpartum. Like, oh, well, I should just be a postpartum doula. I mean, when you go through it, I think some people feel that call after birth and they go, I want to be a doula or midwife. And I felt that for postpartum. And I also Mm -hmm. see a huge gap. I see there's a huge gap in our culture specifically in that arena. (laughs) And, um, I had to seek it out so ferociously at a time that I felt so fragile that it, it felt like it was adding a burden on top of a burden because, I felt like I was in this, the wilderness, going. Who do I turn to? What do I do? What's going to work? Nothing's covered. You know, I I realized that the midwives and also my OB, who I did talk to and I did see, for good reason their their attention was on birth. I mean, they had so many clients who had all of their time and energy, and they gave me time and energy, but they couldn't give me what I needed, which was somebody to really be tracking me. Mm -hmm. Um, and tracking us as a family. So I turned to them and I talked to them a little bit and they all sort of spoke to me about insomnia because that was where it really manifested for me was in my body not like feeling like it was forgetting how to sleep. Mm -hmm. And the more I didn't sleep, the less I felt like I could. And um, there's a lot of mystery about what is safe to take during postpartum time Um, I do have a therapist, my beloved therapist who I've been working with for years and um, she's made care accessible for me for years now um, because therapy is expensive. And I mean, she was a, a powerhouse during pregnancy and then she also was there for me postpartum and was one of the main reasons that I did end up seeking deeper help and, I had to get past huge layers of resistance because as it turns out, I was very not comfortable, but familiar with the concept of, Oh, I'm having a problem. So I can turn to nutrition. I can turn to acupuncture. I can turn to, I mean, I threw all of the money that I had like, and more toward things like craniosacral therapy, um, a lot of acupuncture er- herbal medicine, um, pelvic floor therapy, traditional talk therapy. Um, I mean, I really, I just went all in and I decided that because I had to go back to work. And so I was thinking, okay, I've got to, again, like that mindset of I got to fix this. Mm -hmm. I have a timeline, got to fix this. doesn't work that way. But I really felt okay with that mentally, at least because I live in a community that really stigmatizes um i think medication and western medicine and it's funny how i didn't need that during my birth but as it turned out i absolutely did need it during postpartum and mm-hmm. it took me over a month of trying everything and my sleep just getting progressively worse to finally reach a point where i was very scared like scared for my life and because i i had a night of um you know, like taking Benadryl, doing the whole, doing the whole rigmarole of things and like, okay, I'm going to take Benadryl. I'm going to have a glass of wine. I'm going to take a bath. I'm going to go to like, and then I just lay awake until seven in the morning. And I came to Nicholas and I said, I'm, I'm ready. Like I need help. At this point, the boys were sleeping in a different room. So I was very, um, distraught because I didn't have my baby, Close Mm -hmm. to me, but I was trying to get sleep, and it was an interesting journey. And I I just really feel for anybody navigating sleep stuff postpartum because we're wired to be tuned into our babies. And part of where things got messy for me was that he was waking you know, he was right next to my head, and I was waking up all the time. So I started to forget how to fall back asleep that's where Mm -hmm. it started. And I couldn't really navigate, like, oh, if he's too close to me, I can't sleep, but if he's too far away. I can't sleep. You know, what do you do? Yeah. Um, but that, that night that it really all felt like it built up and I just was feeling so isolated from my people because we were, um, I went to urgent care the next day and cause I knew I needed to be seen that day, talked to my therapist. And she was like, yeah, you, you gotta go. Like, I wasn't thinking about harming myself. I wasn't feeling, it wasn't the point I was at, but I actually felt like this is everything in my essential humanness was being altered by the fact that I wasn't mm. sleeping. And I was having panic attacks at that point mm. pretty regularly. Um, and I went to urgent care and got very lucky because I had someone there who was a wonderful woman who took a lot of time with me um, to really assess me and mm-hmm. to talk to me about what was going on. And she's the one who said, she's like, it doesn't, really seem like insomnia. It seems like anxiety. I think yeah. you're dealing with clinical anxiety and, and, um, I think that I have been for a long time. And like you said, postpartum just brings it like a tsunami. I mean, it just, yeah. it brought it all that combined with pa- the pandemic, you know, just forget it. It was, mm-hmm. it was all there. So,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: the sort of long story short of that, period was that she gave me something to just immediately help me sleep in the short term which is uh, just a anti-anxiety medication and said hey try this see if it regulates your sleep cycle and um, then you don't need to take an antidepressant maybe maybe it's or an SSRI like just just see if you can get some sleep in the tank yeah and I did for a little bit like that worked at first and then about a week or two into that it feels like almost the anxiety started to outsmart. The medication I was taking mm-hmm. and go, oh, okay, well, we're going to work with this now. And and it was clear to me that it wasn't treating the root of what was going on. It was just kind of masking the symptoms. And mm-hmm. um, so at that point, I really, that was really the surrender point. It took like, there was layers and layers and layers and layers of surrender required. I got back in to care with my primary care physician, another angel in this scenario who took me on again, even though I hadn't had her for years. Um, but I was familiar with her and she really cared about, she really cares about women in the postpartum time. And she Mm -hmm. said, I'm going to be your doctor again. And she was the one who said, I think it's time to try, like just try taking Zoloft at a low dose and see if you can just get some serotonin Mm -hmm. in your body because you really, um, you know, you're pushing the river so hard. And she talked to me about meditation and prayer and being in nature. I mean, she really talked to me about other things that are going to help to boost me out of this Mm -hmm. hole that I was in. But at the same time, she was like, your, your chemicals in your brain, you know, like it's okay to accept this help. Mm -hmm. And I did. And as a result of trying that and knowing, you know, that it's not something I want to do forever. But at the same time, she totally busted me and said like, don't go into this being like, okay, so I'm going to try and muscle my way out of it ASAP. She was like, mm-hmm. with postpartum, I really recommend people give it at least six months to just let themselves mm. regulate. And then we go from there and she's like, it's gentle. You can be even be pregnant on it again. I was like, okay, whoa, well, slow down, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> she just said, um, try it. And, As a result of doing that, I have since been able to do things like acupuncture, um, a lot of yoga, a lot of therapy, like EMDR therapy Mm -hmm. um, around some of the things that were connected to this time. And it actually feels like it's taking like, whereas before it felt like it was rolling off of me. Like I would be better for half an hour and then I would just be flooded with panic and my heart would start racing. And now it feels like my nervous system is actually getting a chance to rewire itself and reset, which is Mm -hmm. something that I've needed for a long time and I needed chemical support. And the fact that I was privileged enough to receive that and accept it, um, means that I feel like I am just not only feeling better, but undoing a lot of negative judgment and storyline that I had around medication and that was keeping me from from really seeing my situation clearly so Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that's that's where I got to and I don't think I would have done it if it weren't for for Felix like it suddenly was about someone other than me it's like Mm -hmm. he needs me and I cannot be there for him if I'm trying to survive every day Mm -hmm. this hard
0: (laughs) wow that's so wild yeah, And so scary and so beautiful to, I mean, it, and then and like you said, it just keeps going, you know? I mean, it doesn't, it's not like, it's, it's not like you've conquered it. You're, you're, I'm assuming you're still on it. And the question mm-hmm. remains of what's going to happen, you know, mm-hmm. after, and will you wean yourself or will you stay on, you know, all mm-hmm. those things. Mm-hmm. But it's, um, it is, I mean, it's like the pair, you know, the parallel of like the, what we talked about before like when it's used well it can be it can really save you from a traumatizing experience like medicine in itself you know yeah. it's like getting the yeah. epidural when like the birth experience is no longer feeling safe it's feeling yeah really like really scary and yeah um, i think that's when it's like that and but it's just it's 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 so hard to get to that place but everyone has that like that was your journey of like the the inana you know for post or mm-hmm. the anxiety is like mm-hmm. peeling back layer after layer after layer and getting there to the very 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 bones yeah, you yeah. Know? and um that's amazing i mean I, even though you are still in it and i i really appreciate you speaking about it from this place because you're you are still in it but <clears throat> in in sort of like you said you know maybe this is something you needed for a long time, but it took Felix. Mm-hmm. Is, is there sort of is there any possible sort of advice as far as like notice, like seeing where you're at now, and and in like how to prepare for something like this, how to prevent for something like this, or you just mm-hmm. you just go through yeah. it, you know, and or to for some people, extent, like yeah, our list who have anxiety, yeah, yeah, you know,
1: yeah, yeah. is I mean, number one is I just think with anxiety, at least my experience of it is feeling so alone. And there was some sense of like nobody else has felt this way. And um, even though I know that that's not true, it it has a way of playing games. Um, So I think the number one thing, it's like what you're doing when creating the space with this podcast is it's helping people share their truth and helping each person feel less alone, and that actually is a huge step um, mm. in the, in the path. And I know for me, things did shift for the better when I encountered a podcast with this woman, Gabby Bernstein,
0: who mm-hmm. was being
1: interviewed by Aviva Rom, and they're good mm-hmm. friends, and who was talking about postpartum anxiety and insomnia. And she had an experience that was like to a T what I had gone through, and. Wow. I was just stunned because similarly she ended up needing to go on medication and she's somebody who had been in the public really saying like, you know, you got to manifest your way. Like you got to meditate nutrition. And she was like, you can't eat your way out of a chemical imbalance. Mm. She's like, my life's work is now to help normalize this for the communities that I'm in so that people who really need help in this arena can, can accept it. And, um, for Aviva Ram, for her to go like, you know, I can see ways in which I have been conditioned into steering people away from this when sometimes that is the right choice for them. So
0: yeah.
1: I don't think it's the right choice for everybody. I needed to have felt like I tried everything. Like I really needed to know that I had given it my all in order to see that this was the right next step. Yeah, And I would recommend that same thing to anybody is that you, you really go through the resources you have at hand, but that also, if you can let go of the shame <laughs> that that in, in receiving whatever kind of help you need, mm. whether it's medication or therapy or a nanny or <laughs> whatever, that that is part of the work of parenthood and motherhood is that I'm really seeing is letting go of the shame and the comparison because that's not ending anytime soon. Like there's a million mm-hmm. opportunities to feel that way. So, mm-hmm. um, that, that piece of it feels like a gift. And I would just want anybody going through it to, to know that they're going to be okay.
0: Yeah. Because, is, yeah. you know, you know and you, you said yeah. in the darkest time, you were scared for your life, you know? And so yeah. like it, it's really yeah. relieving to hear that. Um, <laughs> Come here, yeah because I think that's the biggest is is to not feel isolated even though yeah. you know people and you know granted we're moving out of a time we're moving out of that darkest place of the pandemic but in which you're isolated upon isolation you know and like the even though we're getting back to a place in which it is possible to have your sort of village yeah it's still an isolating feeling and so it's just to feel like it's relatable, is so valuable. and yeah um, and you know, it's something that as a healthcare provider, I don't hear about a lot because like I yeah. mentioned, it's just it's out of the realm of what we the, the time and the space that we care for. and so at yeah. least what it was, you know, and so yeah. it's, it's so helpful. For me, um, as a midwife, to to recognize these early recognize things, you know, potentially at mm-hmm. an earlier phase, and give them the resources before, you know, quote unquote, discharging them from care of like, yeah, you know, if this comes up, x, y, and z sort of thing, yeah, and um, and to like you said, normalize it and not not make yeah. it the elephant in the room that shouldn't be discussed because motherhood should right. be rainbows and cupcakes
1: right just like pregnancy is like that that the piece I wrote was about that impossible expectation of like if you're not there's this glowing like Instagram influencer then like you aren't <laughs> important and it's like no pregnancy yeah sometimes it is that and you feel like a goddess and sometimes you don't and um I just think that there is something good happening right now around just cracks in the facade. Um, Mm -hmm. And I know there's been a lot of attention on birth and a lot of amazing work has been done on reclaiming space around having birth options and empowered birth. And like, that's just one piece of the puzzle. And I really get that now. And anyone going through postpartum anxiety, even, you know, in this time, like you said, where the pandemic isn't as extreme. Um, I would just question, like, even in the best of times, I think that we are suffering from a a lack of village mindset and mentality Mm -hmm. and, and like reality and that the best, most streamlined postpartum experience, it's still okay to grieve that that there is something missing and it is that built in community of intergenerational support and we aren't meant to go through it alone. Um, And I, I really, really hope and I want to be part of shifting things for this next generation Ah! (laughs) so that they, they can look back and say like, Oh yeah, it's not like that for us. Yeah. Um, We've gone back in time, you know, to the more ancient ways and, yeah.
0: Yeah, there there it it really took the pandemic to feel like oh you're allowed to voice your needs and voice everything because it's a shitty time and and I maybe in the past, yeah, maybe maybe it was just very much silence because there wasn't an excuse to sort of like f- or a bigger excuse to like feel bad about things, you know? Yeah. And so more sort of mystery and and lack of communication around it. And so hopefully this yeah. has just blown things open to be like, this is a real thing. I mean, amongst many other, many other.
1: Many, many, many other machines. things. Yeah, obviously. Um, but to also, I think like to, to be in a position where, I mean, I felt so aware that, despite all of the challenges that I was facing during pregnancy and in postpartum that like, I am in a position of incredible privilege where I, during my pregnancy and birth, like wasn't, wasn't feeling like there wasn't any way I was going to have somebody who cared about my life or Mm -hmm. like just, just the amount of injustice that still exists in that Mm -hmm. sphere, like where people aren't even, given a right to a safe and healthy birth birthing environment or providers who are going to be holding them culturally as well as physically. Like if I had this kind of experience, you know, like I just yeah. know that others are going through it. Hey buddy, slow down. It's okay. Um, are going through it in such an extreme way. And especially where <laughs> we race and class is concerned and, um, I just, again, like, I just want to be part of a solution, especially by naming those things. And um, yeah. to also let people know, I think that how your birth goes is not an indicator of how your postpartum will go. And I think that that's another big truth that came through of like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I, in some ways don't think I was flagged <laughs> because yeah. I did have a fast, straightforward, unmedicated birth. And, you know, some friends of mine who had more traumatic births, in a way, I felt like they had a right to take up more space at the table in the postpartum um, with needing to process and heal and needing resources. And I kind of denied myself some of that because I didn't have people. I think that that was some of mm-hmm. what people expected. that oh, my birth was, was good, so my postpartum will be good. And it's just, you just never
0: know. Yeah. And because it had nothing to do with birth, but you would think no. that you know, a, a, a setup for the postpartum one that was like pretty streamlined would then kind of set you on a more stable path, but it just had, it just, it was like, it was its own event. And then, you know, this came Um, later, but yeah, it's so, it's so amazing how I feel like, yeah, childbirth becoming a parent, it does, it does just like become this vessel in which you see things a little too clearly at times and oh my
1: god yeah. you know
0: it's just like it's eye opening and it's like sickening and it's frightening and it's amazing and empowering and i think that's the beauty of just like of sharing is to not is to not scare people but just to um is to yeah normalize and experience and and that like it's a shared, it's, it's a shared experience. And, and that like, it's nothing to be, like you said, shamed for, or, um, so. Yeah. And I I think too,
1: like, just to be reminded to remind others and to remind myself that going through all of that didn't in any way stop me from also experiencing profound love and joy and, and excitement and connection with my baby. Like they can exist together and Mm -hmm. that ultimately getting the support I needed. Yeah. Like was, it just enabled me to lean in more to the joy than into the, the hardship. And that has been such a gift and, and, in a way this experience has just given me what feels like a more authentic take on on being a human which is to know that you're always holding the light and the dark like they're there together and it's not one or the other and that has been just
0: beautiful to learn Thanks for listening to Milk Trails. I'm your host and midwife, Haley Oaks. Be sure to visit midwifemilktrails.tumblr.com to access the show's notes, view photographs, or leave your comments. Stay tuned about new episodes by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and tell all your pregnant friends about it. We'll catch you next time.